Hello, welcome back to Shadow on the Water. excited to be back with everybody. Uh, this is our seventh podcast. We've been away, traveling, praying with people, evangelizing, and uh, the Lord's brought us back to just rest a little bit. I'm about to leave to, for Brazil in a, in a few days. Tomorrow's my birthday. I'm very happy, and Jesus has really been consoling and blessing my heart. But I'm so happy that you're here. Back with Shadow on the Water. So today I would like to talk to you about just some things stirring in my heart. I'm hoping to get to Isaiah 42. We'll see if I get there. But um, praise Jesus. Man, I was just thinking before I started this, why would you do a podcast? Why, why, why would I do that? Why would I do a podcast? And you know, the answer just sprung out of my heart immediately. You, whoever's listening, you have a podcast in you. You have a podcast. You have 3,000 episodes of a podcast in you. Number one, you have your story, and your story is so filled with power because God is bringing you from the darkness into the light. Your story will, whether you, no matter what, how you run that race, it's going to give glory to God. Your story is going to give glory to him. You know, the darkness just testifies to the brightness of the light. So even if you decide for the darkness, you'll still give glory to God. But, um, you know, as a failure, as someone who is weak, you can boast in the Lord. You can boast in your weakness. That means make a loud noise. Make a loud, clamorous noise in your weakness. Because you're, when you are weak, he is strong. And truthfully, you have a podcast in you. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit in you. And uh, it's just so powerful. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Somebody just sent me this um, scripture here, Romans 8.11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I'm sorry, we'll give life to your mortal bodies. We'll give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. My goodness. His spirit will give life to you. In John 1, it says, in him was life. Talking about the word, right? In him was life, and his life is the light of men. So that how does he give you, how is his life the light of men. He dwells in you through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will give life to your mortal bodies, will give that life, the Jesus' very life. And that is the light of men. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And I know it's in Matthew, what is it, 5 or something? Don't quote me on that. I'm just pulling it out of my ear. You are the light of the world. Wow. Wow. 
So your testimony, your podcast will shine. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit. I mean, I've just been seeing more and more and more. The most powerful things that happen in my life are the unplanned, unprepared for moments where God displays his glory. Precisely because I do not deserve it and the people to whom he ministers to do not deserve it. They don't deserve it. They haven't earned it. He, in his generosity, does it because God so loved the world. He so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, his only beloved son. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is alive. Jesus lives. He is risen. And that message, when you proclaim that message in Mark 16, and the Lord went with them, Okay, does it say the Holy Spirit? I can't remember. It says the Holy Spirit of the Lord or what? It says, or he went with them, something like that. This is after he mandated the, um, them to go out to the, all creatures and declare the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he, raised, and he ascends to heaven. And then it says in the last paragraph there, and he went with them confirming the message with the accompanying signs. So you will shine with light in power. As you proclaim that message, the message that Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus died for you, and he rose, and he's going to raise you from the dead. That is just amazing. You have, a, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You have a healing ministry in you. You have a prophetic ministry in you. You have um, a, a revival in you. You have a great story that gives glory to God. Um, you're a chapter in the gospel of the Holy Spirit. What do they call the gospel of the Holy Spirit? The fifth gospel. The, the gospel that's being written right now dynamically in life in the Spirit. And that is you. You are a character in that story. <laughs> so isn't that incredible? So that's why I do a podcast, because I have the Holy Spirit in me. And to not do the podcast, to not, uh, to think, uh, what do I have to share? You know, because that's really... I mean, as I face my brokenness, as I go through my flesh, I'm constantly battling my flesh, constantly battling my ego. And, uh, you know, not in horrific ways. It's not in some huge mortal sin kind of way. But it's in the kind of, the mortal sin kind of way, of it's the, the serious sin kind of way of this. Who is it? Who's going to get glorified? Jesus or me? Which one? Who am I glorifying? Who's my life for? Am I, living, am I living my life to glorify you, Lord, or am I living my life to glorify myself? Because when those moments come and he is glorified and I am not, it hurts <laughs> until I realize it. And when I realize, oh my goodness, this situation is, this situation is giving glory to God. <gasps> and I can unite my suffering to him or I can just surrender to him and let him be, wow, he has the seat of honor. Then it becomes heaven, and my suffering turns into joy. But it, it only comes through the Holy Spirit. Like, the Holy Spirit does the whole thing. <laughs> he begins it, he executes it, and then he processes it for me. <laughs> and I'm just sort of like a bystander, and my part is this. Ow! <laughs> you know, I just feel my flesh. I've been standing back and just telling the Lord when, when, I, when I really have to die to myself, I just look to the Lord and I say, 
because it hurts. I can feel the pain in my flesh. Thank you for this nail in the cross. Thank you for nailing my my flesh to the cross. Thank you, Jesus. When does that happen? When I'm misunderstood, when I'm uh, misinterpreted, when I'm passed over and not invited, when I'm not part of the inner crowd, you know, I stand on the outside of the crowd and you see the crowd and they're all, and I got FOMO <laughs> and they're all best friends and I'm like watching from the shadows. Oh, I was at a conference recently and I had so much, it, the Lord just ministered to me so beautifully, but there were a lot of times where I was standing watching, wishing I could be friends, wishing I could be a part, you know, and then other people tell me, no, no, you're totally part, you have a thousand friends, I'm like, what, oh, I do, you know, I don't even recognize that, I, I, and somebody prophesied over me, they said, you know, I see your shirt, it's the exact same color as the wall, and it just clicked, that was how my heart felt, my shirt is the same color as the wall, I'm just a wallflower, you know, that's what I feel like, and then as I prayed into that, Jesus said to me, you know, he has to open the eyes of my heart because there's my perception with my eyes. I'm left out. I'm not part, you know. Oh, there's my ego. There's my flesh. And then there's the eyes of the heart. And then the Lord says, he said to me, Mike, you, you're not a wallflower. You are the wall. I was like, what? And I saw myself like, as the walls of a room that God invites people into. He'll invite someone into that room. And in that room, they get to experience him. Because he and I are in that room. I was like, wow. But I'm telling you, there were a lot of little instances where I had to let my flesh be crucified. Where I was misunderstood or not invited. It literally did happen. I mean, there's reasons why I felt the way I felt. But I had to look through the eyes of my heart. It kind of forced me into the eyes of my heart. It forced me in the eyes of my heart. And it's so beautiful. It reminds the psalm today. This is really beautiful, the psalm. Um, it's Psalm 19. And um, I'm just going to read this little part of it to you. Psalm 19. He says in it... Um, Here's verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. And as I read that at Mass, I was like, the commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. It just hit me. What does Jesus say? He says, if the eye is sound, then the whole body is filled with light. Wow. And so this tells you how to um, have light in your eyes, have, to have your, your eyes be sound. The commandments of the Lord are radiant. Okay, so I'm looking at this. Wow, so I looked it up, and uh, you have this word, um, pakad, pakad in Hebrew. It means to visit. Okay, it literally means to visit. So... The derivative meaning of um, this word uh, pikude, which begins that line, pikude Adonai Yasharim. That's um, the precepts of the Lord are right. The precepts. So we think precept. A precept is just like a rule or a 
a law or something, right? Or a instruction. Well, it comes from the word pakar, which means to visit. So I look it up, and there it is in uh, uh, Genesis. It first shows up when God visits Sarah and gives her the ability to conceive. It, 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 so it's a precept it, in, the, in the sense that God visits you. He's visited her before. He's heard her prayer. He's made promises to her, even though she laughed, right? <laughs> he made promises to her, and then he visited her and gave, it says uh, he took note of Sarah, or some translations, he visited Sarah, and she conceived and uh, um, uh, whatever, however, that that line in Genesis, I can't remember which where it is in Genesis, but he um, and and she conceived Isaac. It's that moment, and um, so the precepts of the Lord are not just precepts. It's this history I have have with God, where He's visited me, and He's seen, heard my prayer, and He's made promises to me, and then He gives a precept. Okay, He gives a He He gives a command. Out of that experience, it's an experience of his nearness, of his visitations. That's what, um, so the precepts of the Lord are right. That word for right is yashar. In the Septuagint, it's translated to the Greek word that shows up all throughout the, the, um, um, uh, it's, it's, it's in Isaiah as well, makes straight the paths of the Lord. I believe it's also in Malachi, or maybe it's not. I don't, I don't remember, but it's also in Matthew, okay, um, where it says immediately Jesus healed, or immediately he said this, immediately he did that, immediately he picked up his mat, whatever, immediately. That word immediately in Greek is the word in the Septuagint to translate this word yashar, which means straight or right. So make straight the paths of the Lord is also to make immediate the paths of the Lord. So here you have this, the visitations of the Lord, or the precepts are these commands that come from his visiting you are right or immediate. They're direct. They're straight. Bringing joy to the heart. Isn't that gorgeous? The visitations of the Lord and his, and his authority that he exercises after he's visited you and heard your cry. Isn't that gorgeous? They're right they're direct, and they're immediate, and they bring joy to the heart. The, the lub in Hebrew, labab, comes from labab. It's translated as heart, but it just means your inner self. And so what does God, what does Jesus say? When the, when the eye is sound, the whole body is filled with light. Your inner self is fill, filled with light. Praise Jesus. I just got a text from my daughter. I prayed over her back today. She's had this constant pain she just texted me and said my back is all better just about an hour ago i prayed over her back praise you jesus thank you lord having seeing more and more healings i prayed over a lady over the phone today uh who works for um this um uh home health care and she helps with medicaid and stuff and i was just calling uh had some business to deal with her for somebody else and um she has surgery on Monday. So I said, well, can I pray over your hand over the phone? I don't even know if she's a believer. Prayed and the pain went way down in her hand and she felt heat in it. And so I just declared the gospel to her. Wow, this is shining with light. It means like when you're doing business, you can shine with light. You can change the trajectory of somebody's life. 
I just spoke the gospel to her. Every heart yearns to hear the gospel. Every heart. And you don't need to tell more than a gospel. Basically what I told her is that Jesus is alive and he has the power to do for you what you need him to do in your life right now. And he wants to give you the rights of his divine sonship. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And so I was like, so I'm going to pray over your hand. I prayed over her hand and she felt heat and the pain went way down. So we're going to, I'll wait and see if it got totally healed and if she actually had to do the surgery. They're like removing a joint because of arthritis or something. So praise God. It'd be awesome. Lord, just, we believe in your healing power. Take a risk. I could have just said, well, maybe she won't get healed and just not done anything. But, you know, just hearing the gospel heals someone's heart. And if her hand gets healed, gravy and a testimony. <laughs> Take a risk. So um, it was a huge risk for me. And somebody was texting me right in the middle of it. So good. It just like encouraged me. Just the word so good. As I was praying over the person, I just thought, oh, thank you, Jesus. Just like that little encouragement I needed. Um, okay. The precepts of the Lord are right bringing joy to the heart. Ah, oh, the commandments of the Lord are radiant. The commandments of the Lord, that's the mitzvot. Mitzvot are all like the, literally the 613 laws. It comes from the word tzava. Tzava actually means to command, to uh, constitute or enjoin or command. It first comes in Genesis 2, Verse 16, when it says, God commanded the man. And he's commanding Adam um, uh, which tree he's allowed to eat from. Enlightening the eyes. The word for enlightening is ma'irat. It's the, um, the root word is or, which is the light. In the beginning, um, God, when God said, in the Genesis, when he says, let there be light, it's let there be or. And that's the light that John is talking about. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with him. And his life is the light of men. It's that, that light is Jesus. So it's bringing, or it's bringing that, the light to the eyes. It's bringing Jesus to the eyes. Which, what does it mean? It means that instead of seeing with your perception, you see with your heart. Because Jesus is all about perception over reality reality is jesus perception is what you see with your eyes but reality is jesus remember the cross is a stumbling block to jews and foolishness to gentiles or greeks or however that translation says it stumbling block to jews and a and foolishness to greeks because it doesn't make sense from your perception but it, the cross forces you into your heart. It forces you to see with eyes of the heart and see this perception over reality. Is it, It's reality over perception. Reality is in suffering, in the wilderness, God is killing. When he takes you in the wilderness for 40 years, right? What is he doing? He's killing all the grown-ups got to look at this poetically 40 years in the desert was to kill all the grown-ups because at the beginning he said everyone over the age of 20 will die and everyone only those under the age of 20 will enter the promised land and joshua and caleb that's what he says that's in numbers whatever 
uh, maybe numbers 13 or something like that, 12 or 13. And that's what exactly what happens. What was he doing? He was killing all the grown-ups. That's what he's doing to you when he brings you into the, to the wilderness, the time of your life, that period of your life where you don't understand. Like, what are you doing? Why is this happening? Why am I suffering here? I don't see where we're headed. And I, I, I need something to hang my hat on, Lord. Okay, he's taking you around the, the wilderness to kill the grown-up in you. This is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. So that only, because only children are allowed in the kingdom. Sorry, it's in Deuteronomy 1, uh, verse 39. And as for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your children who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there, and to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. So he's, um, only little ones are allowed to go in. Only those who do not know the difference between good and evil, he says. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Only children. So the eyes of the heart, God, he, he, he brings light to the eyes of the heart. And how does he do it? He comes directly to you. He visits you. He makes promises to you. He speaks to you. And it's that that gives light to the eyes. How can you know those? Um, we think it's just commandments and precepts. No, 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 no. It is, it is God's experience of you being your father, visiting you, and command, making commandments to you. Yes, he makes commandments to us through scripture and through the church, but it's much more dynamic than that. You can't just follow the Ten Commandments. You actually have to sit in his presence. You have to know him. What does Jesus say in, the, in I think it's Matthew 25, depart from me, I do not know you. Is that right? Depart from me, I do not know you. Meaning I do not, I've had no intimacy with you. Depart from me. That's a big deal. So, but when you sit in his presence and you're visited by him, your eyes are filled with light. And your body then, it, 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 it rejoices your heart, as it says here in Psalm uh, 19. It's just being in his presence. You know, there's these two in, uh, I think it's in uh, Zechariah 4. There's these two olive trees and uh, he sees these olive trees, and then there's this like lampstand. This is this is how you be light in the world. This lampstand, and it has these little receptacles, and the olive trees are constantly pouring oil into the receptacles of this lamp, this uh, lamp that's in the presence of God. And he says, he asks him, "Who? What are these olive trees?" The prophet asks the angel that's showing him all this, and he says, "You don't know what these are." These are those who st are who stand continually beside the Lord, something like that. Who stand continually beside the Lord? I'm not reading the scripture, but this is what the Lord showed me in that. He's like the the oil. If you're looking for oil, oil comes from standing in the presence of God. That's where it comes from. Spending time in his presence, wasting time in his presence, continually standing in his presence. What do the Eastern monks say? They say, like, descend into your heart and stand in the presence of God. That's how you pray. Descend into your heart because the heart, even the, the Catholic Catechism says you, the heart is the place of, en, of, an, of encounter. The heart. It's not outside of you. It's in you. 
That's where God's going to encounter you. Descend into your heart and stand in his presence. Though That's these two olive trees, and they're constantly filling the receptacles of this lampstand with oil. And what does a lampstand do? It shines light. Jesus talks about the virgins who go. You have ten virgins who go, and um, they're going to the, the, the feast, to the marriage feast. And there's these other virgins who forgot oil. They didn't bring enough oil. And so they say, can we borrow some of yours? And they say, well, we can't lend you ours or we won't have enough. In other words, you can't get somebody else's oil. You have to get oil yourself. And so then they go and get oil and then they come and they're locked out. And they, they're knocking on the door and they can't get in. And it's like you have to spend time in the presence of God and those olive trees that are in his presence that stand continually in the presence of God fill you with oil. That's how you get oil, is being in his presence, is a visitation, like this um, Psalm 19, verse 8. This visitation. Um, he visits, um, it, which it just means precepts. The precepts of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. It's the, it's the, um, the, thing, the, the conclusions that God brings out of his visitations with you and then comes and does them. Taking, he took note of Sarah and she conceived Isaac. Okay, he visited Sarah and gave her the ability and power to do what she was physically unable to do herself. And that's what brings joy to your heart. It's God like visiting you. It comes from encountering him. I just love it. It's so good. Okay, so how do we get to this, to where we are? I don't know, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift over. So Isaiah 42, oh my goodness, this is another spot that God has just been like, oh yeah, I just want to finish saying, hey, you have a podcast in you. You do not need to be prayed up. You do not need to be, you know, what does Jesus praise the Father for? For revealing these things to little ones and hiding them from the wise and the learned. So if you don't have a, a Bible, a scripture degree, you're pretty well qualified to be to experience revelation <laughs> if you have a bible a degree in scripture great you can also experience revelation but it's going to come through humility you know so humility is the posture of heaven i have never had a bible study not one bible study never have i sat down in a room with a group of people that's called a bible study you know i've heard a billion homilies and i have read a ton of scripture and i just sit and pray with the lord and he reveals things to my heart and the stuff he reveals to my heart is so dynamically for my life right now. It's just sitting in his presence. So when I talk about Hebrew, it's just because I've just gotten drawn into Hebrew through lexicons and through uh, YouTube videos of rabbis and uh, learning the Aleph Bet and, you know, just the Lord highlighting one word in a, in a scripture passage. And then I go and I look in the concordance, where else does it come in scripture? What is its meaning? What is it derived from? What's the etymology, all that, just like looking it up. And le and then I still don't know, still don't understand. And I had, I'm like, Lord, I'm still at a loss. You have to reveal what, what did you want to reveal to me? And then like three weeks later, or sometimes a year later, uh, it all comes together. One word came together for me. Uh, when a Protestant guy prayed over me, Randy Clark prayed over me, and I fell to the ground. I was I rested in the Spirit, and Our Lady came to me. Mary, the mother of Jesus, came to me and revealed this Hebrew word and how it pertains to my life. 
unbelievable. So like you don't I don't get to pick and choose. I'm not like, well, I want to I want to know this. I don't do that. Jesus said looked at the the um Pharisees, what did he say? He said, "You search the scriptures because you believe they'll give you life, but you refuse to turn to me." That I might give you life. I mean, I'm it's it's uh, I'm paraphrasing there. You search the scriptures. So you can be a very Bible-believing person. Remember, there's the uh, the scholar of the law in uh, Luke 10. He says, um, he says, Lord, how do we ob- how do I obtain e- uh, the inheritance? Isn't that funny? How do I obtain the inheritance? How do you get the inheritance? Uh, you don't get it. You inherit it. <laughs> it's given to you. And Jesus says, Well, how? Well, what what does it say in the law? How do you read it? And that word in Greek for read, how do you read it? It actually means how do you um, uh, interpret it or get to the heart, the center of it? How It's a compound word, and it means like cutting into the very center of it. How do you get in the, and understand it, in it at its heart? And the, so we just, you say, how do you read it? Well, now how, do, how have you come to know it in, in, uh, intimately, right? And the guy says the most perfect answer. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And Jesus, and he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have spoken rightly. Go and do it and you will live. And then the guy, then it says, the guy wanting to justify himself so he had perfect, perfect understanding of the law. He understood it, the heart of it. He understood that all 613 mitzvot, commandments, come from just 10 commandments, right? Which actually come from just two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind, all your strength and all your soul. I'm saying it. I'm not sure if he said it in that order, and love your neighbor as yourself. But he still desired to justify himself. He was living from his eyes. Perception over reality. Unbelievable. Even with perfect interpretation of Scripture. Who justifies you? How do you get an inheritance? You inherit it. It's given to you. You can't justify yourself. You can't go and say and earn an inheritance. You don't earn one. It, you, you inherit it. The word in Hebrew is nachal, and it also is a stream. It's the kind of stream that comes through a little ravine that comes down a mountain because the water is inherited. It's passed from a higher place, lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. It's passed down. So the water that comes in that kind of stream is an inherited water. So it's literally called inheritance, nachal. It means to inherit, and that's the name of the stream. Amazingly, that is the stream. Nachal is the stream bed that David took the five stones from. He was taking stones from his inheritance. <laughs> That's another podcast, but praise God. I mean, that is powerful. So um, so the guy says, and then Jesus says, well, it gives the whole parable of the, the good Samaritan. But how, do, how does, why does the priest and the Levite, why, why do they not recognize their neighbor? Because they're they're looking with 
perception over reality, they're not seen with eyes of the heart. Eyes of the heart are opened through the cross. They're opened through unity with Jesus. How do you have unity with God? How do you have communion with him? You know, in Hebrews 5, his son, though he was, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So it's like in your suffering, you have this, you're kind of forced. Nobody else understands you. Nobody, you know, I had the, my shirt was the same color as the wall. <laughs> Nobody understands you. Um, you feel on the outside and you're forced into a place with Jesus. Who else is on the outside? Jesus. He says it, uh, uh, St. Paul says he was, he was crucified, sacrificed outside of the city walls. So when you are on the outside, you have a solidarity with Jesus because he also was not sacrificed on the outside, outside the city walls. But when you see with eyes of the heart, what did the Lord say to me in that moment? He said, you are the room. You're not, you are the walls. And then he just reminded me of people coming to me and finding respite, finding peace, finding healing, and finding like and their faith being built and being set free as I prayed with them. And he's like, look, you're with me. You're with me. You're with me. But it's only through my suffering that I recognized it. If I was always acknowledged and always celebrated by man, I wouldn't need to get to that place. It's kind of through your suffering that you get to that place. But it opens you as a heart. He learned obedience through what he suffered. Um, obedience is, in Greek, is under-listen. It's a two-compound word, under-listen, to under-listen. He learned under-listening, how to hear, sit underneath the Holy Spirit that overshadows you, right? And to listen. The Holy Spirit rests on you. He, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You sit under and listen. He learned it through what he suffered. So it kind of it brings you into that place in your heart where you encounter God. It forces you to go in there. It kind of breaks your heart. But breaking your heart lets you and God enter. You don't enter your heart unless it gets broken. And uh, where am I going with this? It's just that, that, that the Good Samaritan, he was able to recognize his neighbor because his heart had been broken and he had and he had experienced God. It wasn't from his worthiness. It was because he had to go into that place in his heart and he had intimacy with God. He wasn't trying to justify himself. The priest and the Levite were trying very hard to be good, a good priest or a good Levite, just like the scholar of the law that asked Jesus in Luke 10, you know, wanting to justify himself. He asked, and who is my neighbor? <laughs> and then Jesus says, well, these two guys wanted to justify themselves, and they walked right by the neighbor. They didn't recognize it. They couldn't see. But the, the Samaritan was moved. That's why he, he helped him. It wasn't because he, hmm, he knows. He knew better. I need to help my neighbor. I need to go out there and help my neighbor. No, he did not. He was moved deeply within with compassion and that Greek word it's like splatio I don't even know how to say it but it's like it, it like moved his bowels he couldn't ignore that guy he recognized the neighbor and had to go and help him because because his heart was close to the heart of God he was able to see with the heart he had learned how to under listen through what he suffered son though he was Okay, and it moved him. He had been in a place like that, and God had saved him through some other person of love, right? 
to the, the, the beautiful heart of another believer. And then he recognized his neighbor and he went and helped him. So for us is not to go out and find neighbors. It's to seek God. Seek him in the heart. Sit in his presence and find that oil. Learn how to listen through what you suffer. It's by bringing those things, like the things in your life. You have it. You have a, an abundance of suffering in your life. I know you do. And bring that before the Lord and let him make sense of it in the depth of your heart. And in that communion with him, you'll start to feel his heartbeat. You'll start to feel how his heart moves. And you will be moved in the moment when you need to help your neighbor. You'll see them and recognize it because the eyes of the heart will be opened. And because your heart will be close to his heart. That's how you recognize your neighbor. That's why Jesus said, come to me, you who, who, uh, you know, who uh, clothed the naked and visited the imprisoned. Or, you know, you clothed me, fed me, you visited me in prison. And they're all surprised. What? What? When did I do that? It's like whenever you did it to the least of these. And it's in that moment that he's reminding each person, oh, my gosh, that was you, Jesus. I only did it because I was moved so deeply. I had to do it. I had to. I, I didn't know that I was ministering to you. And then all those, who, the other ones who go to hell, he's like, depart from me. I do not know you. You didn't do this. And they're like, when did we not do that? In other words, I've been doing that kind of thing when you didn't do it for the least of these. In other words, you were doing it for yourself. You're trying to justify yourself. You didn't recognize your, your neighbor. When you went out looking for a neighbor, you were looking, walking around trying to justify yourself. Good Lord. And you don't know me. You never spent any time with me. I don't know you. When my heart was moving for someone, it didn't move your heart. You were helping someone else when I wanted you to help this other person over here because you were helping in order to justify yourself. Ouch, that hurts. But it's a blindness, you know? It's a blindness. It's a spiritual blindness, like perception over reality. It looks like I looked like a hero when I was helping. I mean, there are people, um, you know, I'm a little bit afraid. There are people that I have helped and I have helped them and gotten a lot of credit, and I didn't do anything. In fact, I won. I got. I like walked away, the winner in that deal, you know. And I've been exalted in in moments where I shouldn't have been exalted. Somebody else, actually, was the one who did it, and I got the credit. Good Lord, uh, that's not going to get me into heaven, Lord. That's not going to make me one of those sheep under His right hand, right? I mean, unbelievable. It's true. And I just like, oh, gosh, I hope, you know, gosh, I sure look like a good guy in that situation. I didn't do anything. On the other hand, you know, he does his works in you. He does his works in you. So he's the one who's going to be glorified. So any time that you do it wrong, he did it right. So from that point of view, you can give glory to God even when you mess up. Oh, I did it wrong, but you did it right when it's brought before your eyes. Eyes of the heart, man. Eyes of the heart. Eyes of the heart. I didn't plan on going in this direction, but I'm just going to stick with it. So I guess we're not going to get to Isaiah 42. But um, there's this word. Jesus talks about like the uh, plank in your eye. Remove the plank in your eye. That word in Greek is dokon, and it comes from the word dekomai. Dekomai means to receive. It's like a verb, to receive. So dokon is the plank that receives it receives the weight you build it into you to uh the uh, the building you're building you you, you know you have some uh, two pillars and then you put a dokon in between them and then you have and you do that in another spot 
and another spot, and then you can lay floorboards across the dokon in order to now have a floor. So it's a, it's a it's a beam of infrastructure that receives. It receives the weight. So he was saying, take that beam of infrastructure out of your eye. He wasn't saying like you have a huge splinter in your eye. He's saying you you put the infrastructure, the weight of your interpretation of reality, from your perception. Take it out of your eyes so you can see clearly to help your neighbor. You need to see clearly. You need to see with the heart. In in First uh, Samuel sixteen, is it, where he says um, to uh, Samuel, "Go to the house of Jesse, for there I've seen a man after my own heart. I've seen a man. You know, it says seen. It doesn't say found. Our our scripture says there I have found a man after our own heart. In Hebrew, it says see. I have seen. God sees with the heart, and then he goes uh, to the house, and then there's the men of all this. He says, don't look at their stature, the older brothers. Don't look at their stature. For men look to the eyes, but God sees with the heart. God looks to the heart. God sees with the heart. Men look to the eyes. Men see with their eyes. God sees with the heart. And what is David? He's a man after his own heart. I have seen a man. So with my heart, I've seen it. And then David comes in, and David is a, it says he made a splendid appearance. Well, in the Hebrew, it, it literally says, it doesn't mean he made a splendid appearance. And you're looking at his outer appearances, right? It, it says he has tobra'ah, and I'm, I'm, I'm pulling the, just the, the three-letter roots there, so that's not the actual morphology in the scripture, but it's tobra'ah. Tob is good, and ra'ah is sight. He has good sight. It's not that he's good-looking or makes a splendid appearance. You could translate it that way, but really it means he has good sight. He sees well. He doesn't see with the eyes. He sees with the heart. He's a man after God's own heart. Men look to the eyes. God looks to the heart. What am I saying here? I'm just saying, uh, you know, when you see with the heart, you can understand, I have everything in me I need to do a podcast. I have the Holy Spirit in me. Because you'll hear the Lord move. You'll hear the Spirit. You'll give room for the Spirit to work in you. In John 9, verse 3, what does it say? Um, you know, they asked Jesus, why is this man born blind? Is it so that, is it because of his sins or the sins of his parents? Well, that's all perception. Jesus says, neither, in John 9, 3, neither. It was not because of his sins nor the sins of his parents. It was so that the works of God may be displayed in him. Isn't that incredible? He sees with the heart. And then he heals the guy, and the guy is given vision. He's given the kind of sight that actually sees, okay? Not perception. He heals the guy's eyes, but the guy sees the truth that Jesus is the Savior, that the cross, which is the stumbling block for Jews and foolishness to Greeks, is actually salvation is actually where you become, it's the marriage bed. That Jesus is the Savior. And he goes and proclaims, Jesus is the Savior. He, I was blind and now I see. And he goes and proclaims it. And the rest of John, John 9 is all Jesus arguing with the Pharisees about, about it. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a word um, in Hebrew, ta'am. It means to taste. Its literal meaning is to taste, ta'am. Lord, this is take this with a grain of salt, but this is what Jesus showed me. He said, Mike, I was spelling this word 
in my own prayer time, said, I was spelling this word in John 9. Why? Ta'am. It starts with um, tet. Tet means mud. And then ayin. Ayin means I. And then mem means water. What did Jesus do? He, he made mud with his own spittle. And then he rubbed it in the guy's eye. And then he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Amazing. So mud, tet, iron, I, mem, water. He took mud, rubbed it in his eye, and had him go wash in the pool of Siloam. Ta'am. It means to taste. What is it? That word comes in Psalm 34. Taste and see. Taste and see. Isn't that amazing? Ta'am and ra'ah. Taste and see. Unbelievable. So the word, because it means to taste, the derivative meaning, and a lot of the times in the Old Testament, the word ta'am is, which means, its literal meaning is to taste. Because it means to taste, its derivative meaning is to perceive. And so it even, there's a there's a, another word, mita'am, which is just adding a mem as a prefix, and that means an edict. Like uh, when uh, jo- uh, Jonah goes through Nineveh and he's proclaiming that, you know, uh, he's just prophesying over Nineveh, and then the, the the king of Nineveh repents, and he he declares an edict for everyone to fast and pour ashes on their head. That it means an edict because it's it's your taste, it's your what you what what is your taste? You know what is your desire because of what tastes good to you? Is so it means edict. So it means from tasting. He's tasted the flavor of this prophetic word and he gives an edict a mitaam isn't that crazy so so he makes a move he gives a command this is translated as edict but isn't that wild taam it means to perceive because it means to taste and what does he say taste and see and what does he do he takes tet mud puts in his eyes iron has him wash mem mem is water mud I water spells the word ta'am to taste and its derivative meaning meaning to perceive and it literally in Psalm 34 taste and see so he washes his eyes in Salome you know he has the mud in it uh, goes and washes it and then his vision is restored so he didn't just give him sight he gave him perception he gave him reality to be able to see with the eyes of the heart what do you see jesus is lord jesus healed me jesus is the way the truth and the life follow jesus i found the man you know uh, and i uh, <sighs> praise jesus in isaiah 66 it says that he sends fugitives fugitives to proclaim his mighty works to the nations that word in Hebrew is palate, and it comes from the, the, the verb palat. So fugitive, a fugitive is a palate. Palat means to slip out, it's ancient meaning. So, so it's usually palate, the, the noun, is actually translated as delivered or rescued. Someone who has been delivered or rescued. And for some reason we translate it as fugitives, so it doesn't make a lot of sense to us. It means you were a... Yeah, you're a fugitive. You, you, it means you were sitting there in your city and a huge army came and they were destroying everybody and you escaped. You were delivered. And he sends those people who were facing 
their doom, they were, they're the ones who are sent out and declare his mighty works to the nations. It's the rescued, the delivered. So for us, when you see with eyes of the heart, you see how God, you can see how he's writing a story in your life. And you constantly stay in that state of being rescued. <gasps> I met the man who saved me. I met the man who's healed my blindness, like the John 9 guy. He healed, I, he's like, I don't know, you know, as they question him, I don't know who he is, but I was blind and now I see. That's all I know. And he did it. <laughs> it's, it's not the guy who has um, the, 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 the scholar of the law that gets sent to the nations. It's the guy who was rescued. And look at this guy in John chapter 9. He's sent to the nations. He's written in every Bible that's in every, that the Gideons put in every hotel room across of America. And the Bible that's been translated in every language, you know. He's declaring to the nations, I was blind and now I see. And it was Jesus that did it for me. Seeing with the eyes of the heart, you have a podcast in you because you have a story, because God has saved you. You have the Holy Spirit in you and he'll give you the words. Uh, to be honest, I was going to do Isaiah 42. That's just what my plan is, what the Lord told me to do. And then he's like, I just want you to turn around and start talking. So maybe I'll end in it. You know, we're at 50 minutes here. This is Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. So, you know, we're at 51 minutes. I'm going to go ahead and um, this scripture is so beautiful. When the Lord started breaking it open for me, I just wept. I wept. I'm going to just give you a taste. He is, these words in verse 2, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Those words in Hebrew, you know where those come from? They come from the original sin of both Adam and Eve and Cain. Oh. He will not cry aloud. That word to cry is tsaak, and it means to shriek. And it first comes in Genesis 4 when Abel's blood shrieks from the ground. He will not shriek. Okay, his blood, what does he say in Hebrews um, 12? Hebrews 12, 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. His word, will he will not shriek. Um, how Abel's blood cried out for justice. Jesus' blood doesn't cry out for justice. It cries out for mercy. Oh my gosh. And then the, the word for... Um, the word for um, lift up. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice. It doesn't say his voice. It just says lift up. 
He will not cry. He will not shriek or or raise. That's basically what it says in the Hebrew. The word is nasa. It means to lift or carry. And he will not lift. It says lo yasa. Lo yasa or yisa. I don't remember how the. Let's see. It's right here. Velo yisa. Um, that word first comes in scripture in Genesis 4. When Cain says, this iniquity is too much for me to nasa, for me to carry. Oh. And it just speaks to me of Abel's blood crying from the ground. And God comes and calls um, Cain to an accounting. And Cain crumbles under the weight of his own sin. But when Jesus comes and he points out your sin, when he points it out, his blood cries from the ground because he's, why does he suffer? Because of my sin. He will not nasa. He will not raise. He will not make you carry the burden. He will not make you lift or carry. He'll do it for you. My servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. The word delights, in whom my soul delights. That word is ratza. It's in the it's in the um the Hebrew our father. It means to delight. It means to be pleased when a debt is paid. Be pleased when a debt is paid. In whom my soul is pleased because he has paid the debt. That's what that's what the father is saying here in Isaiah forty two. Verse 1, in whom my soul has been pleased because he's paid the debt. His blood speaks a better word. He will not, not cry aloud like the blood of Abel or lift, okay, or lift or carry like, like um, Cain. This is too much for me to bear. Oh, He will not have you lift. You won't have to lift and be crushed under the weight of your sin. He'll be. And it says, or make it heard in the street. That word is shama. Shama is to hear intelligently. It says in uh, Strong's, to he- the ancient meaning is to hear intelligently. Shama. It's in the shama. Shama Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Achad. Shama, hero Israel. It means to hear, like and understand. Right? Hear, O Israel. Um, it first comes when Adam and Eve, the first time it comes in Scripture, was Adam and Eve have sinned and they hear God walking in the garden in the cool of the afternoon. And they run and hide. He will not make it heard in the street. See, it, it, he's saying, you will, you will not be crushed under the weight of your sin like Cain. You will not be crushed under the weight of your sin as when you hear God coming, when you've sinned and you realize, when you come to your senses and realize you've sinned. Oh, think of that. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. He'll come to you gently. He comes to you humble and riding on a donkey. He comes to save you from your sin, not to crush you under the weight of your sin. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Those words in Hebrew are profound. The bruised reed is 
um, the, in uh, Hebrew, it is a kane, and it literally is the word kana, which means to get or acquire, acquire, to purchase. It's the exact word that Eve derives the name Cain from. Do you see how this is pointing back to Cain? He, because I have acquired a son from the Lord. She names him Cain because I have Kana. I have acquired a son from the Lord. And without breaking a bruised Cain, he won't crush you under the weight as Cain was crushed under the weight of his own sin. And remember what God does with Cain. When Cain sins, he says, God basically says, the whole, because of Cain says, I cannot bear this iniquity. I can't bear it. But God says to him, the whole world has to forgive you, Cain. If anyone seeks revenge on Cain, I will seek revenge on him sevenfold, he says. Isn't that amazing? He's saying everyone has to forgive Cain. That's incredible. It's the first time he commands forgiveness. Um, and that's why, you know, seven becomes, then Lamech, who's a descendant of Cain, also kills a man, and or two, yeah, he kills a man who was hurting him. And uh, um, that, um, uh, he, he uses that same word, Shammah, he, or he, yeah, he tells his, um, his wives to hear him, pay heed to me, wives, um, that if I am, if someone uh, seeks revenge on me, if Cain's was sevenfold, this person's will be seventyfold. So then you have Jesus who takes seven times seventy. Okay, seven times seventy. This is the this is this outline of forgiveness. You have to forgive me. God has commanded it. When Cain killed Abel, God commanded the whole world to forgive Cain. <laughs> That's basically what happened. And then Jesus is seven times seventy. You know, to the Jews, seven is completion. Ten is the law. So seven times seventy, or seven times ten is seventy. 70, the completion of the law, 7 times 10, the completion of the law is what? Forgiveness. That's St. Paul's whole message. Once you get under the law, you are condemned. But the perfection of the law, the completion of the law is forgiveness. It's the only way. The only way you can be uh, uh, righteous, come into right relationship with God is through forgiveness. It's the only way. It's impossible to do it through the law. So it's from the beginning, okay? From the very beginning, it's through forgiveness. I will, a bruised reed, a bruised cane, he will not break. And then it says, and a smoldering wick. That word is flax. You know what that, that word comes from? It comes from when they made the, they made the, um, the robes of the priest out of flax. And if they ever, um, if that robe ever had a little bit of uh, mold in it or some little imperfection in it, they would burn it. That was the, the instruction. And so, he, you know, imagine that you had the imperfections in you, the mold or the sin in you, set it on fire to burn it, right? And then he won't, Come and quench it. He imagine it, it as it's smoldering. He won't even come and step on it, which would just destroy it, right? He he. A smoldering wick he will not quench. It just gives it gives it points right back to them burning their priestly robe when it, they find imperfections in it or mold in it or something like that. 
He won't even come up and stomp that out. He's so gentle. He, he won't stomp out the the um, your your robe that that is filled your clothes that you put on yourself. You know. This kind of brings us full circle. I'm sorry that I'm going long on this, but it kind of brings us full circle because remember in the beginning I was talking about how he brings you into a confusing place in order to kill the grown-up in you, like he brought them through the wilderness. Well, what does he say in Exodus 33? He tells them, take off your ornaments. Take off your ornaments. Take them off. I, you know, you're so frustrating, you stiff-necked people. If I was among you, I would consume you. That's what he's saying. Because they built the golden calf. He's so frustrated. This is before the 40 years, okay? It's right after um, uh, Moses comes down off the mountain, and he's so upset they built this golden calf. And he says, tell the people to take off their ornaments while I figure out what to do with them. <laughs> that word for ornament is, you know, like your jewelry and stuff. It's ada, and it literally means to pass on or to, to um, advance, to advance. So what are your ornaments? It's the way that you decorate yourself to try and advance yourself, trying to make yourself more than what you are. That's being a grown-up. A grown-up thinks that they have to do it themselves. I have to beef myself up, and I have to, I can't rely on God, I have to do it. And that's the whole sin of the Israelites. They thought uh, they couldn't take the promised land because they, because the people in the promised land were too strong. God didn't couldn't give it to them because they weren't strong enough to take it. They had more, uh, more faith in their ability or inability than in the power of God. Children, on the other hand, just trust their father. My father is strong. My father will do it for me. And so he brings you into the wilderness he says, take off your ornaments. Take off how you've advanced yourself, how you've decorated yourself, how you're trying to uh, add to yourself because you don't think you're enough. How you um, try to justify yourself, right? How you justify yourself like the scholar of the law. Take that off. Take all your ornaments off. He leads you into the, the wilderness in order to kill the grown-up in you. It's the times of suffering. You learn obedience through what you suffer. It's a time of being, but what, what, what happened in the wilderness? He showed them that he's going to feed them meat every day and manna every single day. And then as the grown-up, just think of this proverbially, you know, like poetically, as the grown-up is killed off, after 40 years, it was only those who were under the age of 20 at the first census in Numbers 1 who are allowed in, who actually go in and take the promised land. Oh, I could go on and on with this. It's so good. But it's it's seeing with the heart. It's uh, And it's your suffering that brings you down there. It's your suffering that you have to, your heart has to be broken to go down there. And as you are sitting there, oh, um, you know, it's, your, it's, you, it's you finding that you're not enough. <laughs> you know, like I'm on the outside. And it brings you to that place with Jesus where you have intimacy with him. You find him there. You're on the outside of the city. You find him there. And then it's with the eyes of the heart that you see that he will come to you and you won't cry out. You won't um, be crushed under the weight of your sin like Cain. A bruised Cain, I will not, he will not break. You will not... His blood will not cry out to the shriek from the ground like Cain's does. No, his blood speaks a better word. It will bring you. 
It will gently establish justice in you. He'll bring, he'll make you righteous. He'll justify you. You don't justify yourself. He will justify you. There's the Ezekiel, I'm sorry, the Isaiah 42. Without breaking a bruised reed or quenching a smoldering wick, he will um, establish justice in the earth. Last thing, the, the coastlands wait for his law. The coastlands, the Lord emphasized that word to me. I looked it up. It comes from the word e, I, uh, Aleph, Yod, e, um, which comes from the word Ava, according to Strong's. Ava means to, I mean, e has different meanings. There's different, uh, but this one, it's iim. Iim is the coastlands, is the actual word that's in Isaiah 42. The coastlands await his law. It means ava. It means the word. It comes from the word ava, which means to desire or to long for. So it's not just that the coastlands, and sometimes it says the isles or the islands. It's a. It means coastland because it's a place of dry land that is desirable. That's why it means it translates coastland because it literally means a place where you can go live that's desirable. But it comes from the word ava, which means to desire or to long for. It even means to lust. <laughs> so the, that heart where your longing is, that deep place where your deep desire and longing is, awaits him coming and establishing justice. It's that broken place of your heart. So you actually get in there. He can get in there. You can get in there. And you can encounter him there. So um, I just want to encourage you. You have everything in you that you need. You have a broken heart and you have the Holy Spirit. Get down in there, encounter him, and you will begin to minister. Immediately God will shine his light out of you. You will, um, the works of God will be displayed in you. John 9, 3. The works of God. You suffered, why? Because of your sin? Your parents sin? No. Even though there was sin involved, I'm sure, in your suffering. Yeah, maybe somebody did something to you or you did something, whatever. Is that why? No, 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 no. It's so that the deeds of God can be displayed in you. Oh, that is awesome. What an awesome word. So I leave you with this. I love you. May Jesus bless you. I can't wait to um, give another podcast later. I head to Brazil. Pray for me. Um, we just got back from Cuba. Um, God has been gracious and he is get, letting us go and minister and um, he's entrusting people to us. So we actually preach the gospel, pray for healing. We're seeing miracles. And this is coming from, I mean, if you knew us here at Shadow in the Water, you know, and a lot of you do know us, we're just normal people. We are not superstar somehow. I don't know. We're just normal people and God wants to use normal people fugitives actually that's what we are we're rescued people and he wants you to stay in that spot of being rescued he rescued me he can rescue you you have it all in you you have a broken heart you have the holy spirit you have a whole ministry you have a whole proclamation of the gospel about to happen in you so may jesus bless you can't wait to see you all uh whenever i see you because uh, whoever knows me from this if i have if you don't know me i can't wait to meet you Jesus bless you and come back to Shadow on the Water.